We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sundance Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, um, let's just, I know I was going to ask how this week is, but this week fucking sucks. Can we just start yes, with that? Does. Yeah. I think we can. If you don't know what we're talking about, um, a little under a week ago, uh, the co-host of Masterpiece Cinema, Mr. Uh, Michael Ryan, passed away uh, at far too early an age. And uh, I just know that it's been a really strange week for everyone. Um, it seems absolutely surreal in the worst possible way that this is the second time in less than a year that we're doing this. But uh, I know, Kate, that you uh, you you're going to be on the um, memorial episode, which you recorded with a whole bunch of other people on Sunday. Yeah, that's going to go up um, on Masterpiece on Saturday. So uh, it was it was wonderful to get to talk with Josh and Gabe a bit about Mike, um, who's a really great guy. And this week sucks. But there are many other things that were awesome this week. So I think let's try to move on and focus on that. And you're right. Twice in a year is ridiculous, but let's focus on the positive. And one of those positive things is that uh, friends of the show, Paul Goebel and David Bax, have started up their their podcast, Hey, Watch This. So if you like, if you enjoyed their segments with us on on Televerse, or if you uh, enjoy us, you'll probably enjoy their show. This week they talked about uh, Rectify, the first two episodes, and then uh, Project Runway. So a little bit of a different uh, different vibe there on those two shows. So go ahead and check out the, uh, their podcast. Also, I, I guessed it on the TV Times 3 podcast with uh, Jason, the TV-holic, and then also Libya from TV Campfire. So that should be coming out this week as well. And there's a couple shows we talked about on there that we're just going to kind of skip over here because, you know, there's no need to be repetitious. But um, we'll, we'll talk about that a little as we get into our, our week in TV. But thought I thought I should mention that up at the top. Of course, at the end of the show, uh, we'll have uh, our DVD shelf this week. We get to talk Dollhouse with Kate Rennebaum, who is just awesome. Yes. Yes, she is. She wins. There's, there's, there's nothing else to say there except, except just that. Yep. <laughs> I got to talk to with a bunch of you guys this week as well. Um, heard from Bruce talking about Game of Thrones and uh, and Bob as well. They both uh, vote for Danny in the who, which uh, Game of Thrones person should you marry? And there was a bit of consternation as to why she wasn't discussed uh, on the podcast. But uh, but you were saying earlier that you feel good about your pick. Yeah, I ended up voting for Egret yet last week, and I think. Uh, I think my point was proven this week. That's all. <laughs> Dan said he enjoyed the Spartacus talk that we had with, with Ryan McGee last week. That was so much fun. I'm glad you enjoyed the segment, Dan. Um, I talked with Zach, Steve, Kim, Catherine, and Tim about the Into the Woods news that we heard. <laughs> I love that musical. Uh, so you can guess how I feel about Johnny Depp and Meryl Streep joining it. Oh, I didn't know about Streep. 
Yeah, she's going to uh, be the witch. The vocal uh, stylings we heard in Mamma Mia applied to oh Sondheim. Oh, God. Well, hey, they should just reunite the whole Mamma Mia cast, because why not? Get Pierce Brosnan in there. I am glad that I did not spit out my coffee, sir, when you said that. <laughs> Anyways, I want to thank Matt, Blaine, and Shannon for their suggestions on which Dollhouse episodes I should catch up with. That was very helpful. Heard from Ken, who likes our category thing that we've been doing with our weekly TV. Thank you very much for the feedback. And he wants the Televerse cover of the Game of Thrones theme. Well, I was going to do that, and then I just didn't have any time. Mm-hmm. But it was I, I did have like a mental like sonic map of how that could work, but it would have taken me like at least four hours of work, and then I would have had to send it to you and get your parts and get it back and mix that down. And it would have been it, it would have taken still marginally less time than putting together a podcast, but still. <laughs> Maybe for next year. We'll see. We'll see how it Maybe goes. Maybe for next and year. And he wants to know, seeing as we you know, especially you haven't even caught up with Amazing Race in a while, but I keep complaining about it. Why am I still watching? We have the of course the Televerse pool, which I, I wanna thank you guys for, for still being involved with that. Uh that has really upped my in investment in this season. Um, so I think that that is part of it. But also, I mean, what about you? I know you've been disappointed this season. Are you going to watch next season? Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll check out like a cast list and then see if it sounds promising. But if they can't do- find a more interesting bunch than this time, then it's not going to be good. See, I still like it. I, I like the, uh, I mean, it, it's just, you know, I like scavenger hunts. I like travel. I, you know, I like all of these different things that the, the show can be. So maybe I'm just kind of holding on to that, but that's why I keep watching. Oh, fair enough. Speaking of the Amazing Race pool, Mario uh, said that he thinks Alicia is better off with neither guy. Talking about the good wife, we'll talk about that at the end of the show. We're going to spotlight the good wife finale this week. And as for Scandal, he likes the twists and the character history, and he thinks that Carrie Washington is fierce. Uh, so so I, I got to agree with you there. She's pretty great. Um but yeah, I caught up with a bunch of scandal this week, and we're not really going to talk about it on the on the podcast. But um, I, I'm still not a hundred percent on board. It's a fun show, but it just for me it doesn't get in, up into that next level of I really want to talk about it. So maybe something will happen, you know, with the last couple episodes of the season that'll push it into that realm for me. But um, anyways, we heard from Bill. He's not a Dollhouse fan, even though he loves the rest of the Whedonverse. I think he sh- I think he should. Still listen to the segment, though. I think there's it's worthwhile, you know. Yeah, it's it's a good segment. We had fun with it. Yeah. Uh, Keith is not a fan of the originals by a long shot. Keith, you should listen to me on, t- on TV Times 3. I think you'll enjoy the near spotlight of shame level of ranting that happens over there to kind of tip my cards. And uh, Amanda wasn't fond of the dimension hopping with who. We'll talk about Doctor Who a little later. And Justin and Justine were talking about Duck Dynasty. Why were we talking about Duck Dynasty, Simon? Oh, we were talking about Duck Dynasty because uh, we have a poll going on on the Televerse uh, Facebook page as to what you should be forced to watch next. And I noticed Duck Dynasty was sitting there with zero votes and the following had a few. And I just thought someone ought to vote for it. So I did. <laughs> right now, uh, the Big Bang Theory is winning with the following and Scandal right behind, and then Modern Family, and then Duck Dynasty. So that's what's going on right now. Um, this Whatever you vote for, I will watch this week and talk about it next week. So get your, you know, if you have an opinion on the matter, go ahead and uh, vote at our Facebook page. Also, let me know what you would like to be on the poll for next week. Uh, Blaine already wants there to be Hemlock Hemlock Grove, so that will be on the list next week. And I think that was Ricky suggested Dancing with the Stars, so thank you for that, <laughs> Ricky. But yeah, there's three, still three spots left, so let me know what shows you want to have in contention. 
And if you vote for the following, you're a horrible, horrible person. Not to attack the people who voted for the following, but you're terrible people. I don't really think that. I really think that. <laughs> it could be that they're just hoping for a, a, just an unleashing of wah uh, from me. About, maybe. About it. maybe. I mean, I could but see still, that. still, that's cruel. It, you know, but we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. Anyways, I, let's move on to iTunes. I want to mention we got a five-star review from Foster Co. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to rate us. Um, they said that uh, they like the chapter breaks, but um, with the new segmenting of the show uh, into the different chunks, they want, they want us to make sure that we still put the chapter breaks in. Uh, so they don't have to fast forward because that's, I mean, I know I listen to enough podcasts. I know that's a pain in the butt. Now we've, I've been putting chapter breaks in for every show that we, that we talk about for longer than like a minute or, or two. So there should still be chapter breaks there. Let me know if they're not working for some reason. Um, but I will try to do, and Simon, we can work on this together. We'll try to do a better job of making sure that we keep it spoiler free for anything that, you know, and and if, if there's any, any kind of spoilers, we'll put in a chapter break. Um, so that way you don't have to worry about fast forwarding and we'll make sure it's just a short discussion or, and if it's, and if it's not, if we go more in depth, if there's spoilers, I'll make sure that there's chapter breaks, but please write us a comment, um, tweet at, at me or email us in the next couple of weeks. Let me know how I'm doing with that. If I need to be more vigilant, but thank you very much for, for putting in an iTunes rating in there for us. Um, Simon, what's going on at Sound On Sight? Well, we're wrapping up uh, Film Location uh, Month. Next month's theme is uh, Elia Kazan, which I'm really excited about because I get to watch things that aren't uh, Splendor in the Grass or the w- other one or two Elia Kazan movies I've seen. So uh, okay. that should be interesting. The, with the theme being Elia Kazan, you know, that's not really going to prompt many TV articles. But then in June, we'll have a TV theme for the month. So we're kind of try- kind of trade off for the next couple months. Yeah. Um, also, I'll mention that I put up a podcast with uh, Steve Procopi from Ain't It Cool News, Aaron Pinkston from Battleship Pretension, and Andrew Stengley talking about uh, just the festival and all the different films this year. So uh, let me know what you think. It's only on the, the website because there isn't really a podcast feed that makes sense for it. But I had a hell of a lot of fun talking with the guys about Ebert Fest this year. And um, yeah, there's some there's some pretty contentious discussion for at least one of the movies. So I think you guys should check it out. Also, of course, we had the Game of Thrones podcast this week, and uh, Scott Meslow from The Week joined us this time. So we had a lot of fun talking. Of course, that's Ricky and myself. And Simon, we'll get your thoughts on Game of Thrones as we get into our week in TV. But speaking of, it's been almost 12 minutes here. I've talked way too long. We should get into our week in TV. Yes. Tina, Tina, I thought you were leaving. Change of plans. I need to talk to you. I have questions. Tell me about the band again. But in the car, you didn't want. Tell me. Well, Alan, um, Griffin's. Yeah, sure, Griffin, Griffin. Uh huh. Next. Okay, Matt. Well, that leaves Boo Boo. Oh, really? That's interesting. Tell me more. What about Boo Boo? Boo Boo's the youngest, and he's got a really great voice, but he hasn't hit puberty yet, so that could change. What's he into? Sports? I can get into sports. What the hell else does he like? I want to give him things. Whoa, Louise, you like Boo Boo. What? No, Tina. Okay, right. Look, I like a boy. That's. Uh, you think he might like me? Oh my God, what's happening to me? Cut me off, but I'm infected. Pull it out. It's okay, Louise. You're just having a crush. Never. Let's kick off uh, our week in TV with the comedies. This week, that means Community, Basic Human Anatomy, Parks and Rec Swing Vote, Happy Endings, The Ballad of Lonserovsky, and Unsabotageable, Bob's Burgers, Boys for Now, and Veep Hostages. Um, I want to kick things off with Community because, you know, of course you don't watch it. 
and just say that I, I was underwhelmed by this episode. I really don't understand all the praise I've been seeing around around the Internet. Basically, I mean, I like a nice body swapping movie uh, as much as the next, you know, geek. I actually have thought that was really fun conceit, but I, I really wasn't very impressed with the performances in the in the actual body swapping. Um, maybe just because I, it immediately takes me back to uh, to the Buffy body swap episodes, which had such gr- a great performance from Sarah Michelle Gellar and Elijah Dushku. But, you, you know, Troy is Abed and Abed is Troy. It just felt very one note and um, heightened and not a, and a particularly strong performance from either actor, actually. So I, I was less enamored of that, uh, though I thought there were some really nice uh, moments for 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 Britta and some of the other characters. Uh, I'm hoping for, you know, a, a more promising episode this week. Um, that's the one that stood out to me. Very much enjoy happy endings, very much enjoy Parks and Rec, but I know for me, it comes down to Bob's and Veep this week. How about, how about you? I, I didn't, I didn't think Parks was all that great. I thought it was, you know, sort of in line with the last few episodes for me of just kind of, you know, maybe a chuckle or two, but mostly shrugging. Uh, happy endings was its usual wacky self. In particular, the the second episode we got this week was particularly heightened and insane, which I really enjoyed, uh, especially as it relates to Jane and her uh, and her charts and uh, <laughs> lo- lots lots of uh, solid montaging as well. Nice to see. Uh, was that Mark Paul Gossler back? Yes, yes. Uh, he's he's he he brings a different kind of energy to the show that we don't that we're not really used to, like sort of an antagonistic energy, which is fun. And they should wheel that out every, I don't know, eight or nine episodes. But uh, you're right. It is all about uh, Bob's and Veep. I thought Bob's was uh, better than it's been in a while. Uh, you know, I had a few weeks of just being okay this week. I I should not have watched it at like two in the morning because I was laughing out loud several times, uh, which I'd been missing from from Bob's, which is great. Uh, I, was, I particularly enjoyed... Um, I was able to identify Jack McBrayer, but I was still pleased to hear him doing something different. And um, there, there were some other people in there, weren't there? Yeah, we had Max Greenfield as Boo Boo. Yes, <laughs> which I should have. One of those, like I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Should have, should have figured him out. Really didn't. Which, which Bob's is very good at. Yeah, I thought uh, Jack McBrayer was so much fun. I like you. I really liked that he's doing something a little different with his voice acting in this role, and I'd like to see more of that from him. Uh, unlike some other people I was talking to on Twitter who were off put by a different performance from him, but more like that pleased Jack McBrayer. Um, and yeah, just this episode for me, the the tablescaping thing was was entertaining, but this was all about Louise, and uh, the, I just I was like rolling on the floor at at her her I want to slap him. I don't know. It was just it was just wonderful. And I thought the, the the beat at the end where she's kind of like marveling at Tina's ability to handle those kind of emotions, I thought was, was actually really sweet and, and nice. So I, I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. I, I, I like the, I like Bob's is like slightly askew, not, not quite twisted, but just a little bit out there take on like prepubescent sexuality, if you want to call it that. And although I, I was also amused because uh, I hope this isn't too much of an aside, but on the message board I post on, someone posted a story after having seen this episode of a friend of theirs who, um, when she saw The Clash in the early 80s, she was so attracted to Joe Strummer that she just had to go on stage and slap him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and she did It was and was whisked away by security. So this is a thing that happens. <laughs> 
Well, let's talk about Veep a little bit then. Um, this wasn't quite as solid for me as last week, but I did. I, yeah, I really think that uh, the season is off to a good start, and the fact that um, that they managed to pull off that 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 you know that bit at the end with the character, I think is is a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I, I you know just just the resurgence of Buster really worked for me. Yeah, he was uh, he was very bustery this week, wasn't he? Yeah, <laughs> um, which I was totally cool with, and I guess we're going to be getting a lot of Buster this year. But um, now, to, to me, uh, I, I was I, I know that we had some misgivings about uh, the use of Gary Cole at first, but I'm starting to really enjoy the way he's integrated. I mean, the microwave gag was just too good. <laughs> um, that was great, and uh, so so nicely played by all all concerned, but especially Gary Cole. And I, I also really liked everything with Sue this week, who was allowed to to be a, a little bit. Um, you know, they have her so much as the uh, as as the superior one. It was nice to see see her be put in her place for once as well. Um, that was great, and I also loved. Uh, was it Cliff? Her uh, the, yeah, the 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 the, the Sue New substitute, Sue. a boy named uh, Sue. <laughs> he was he was amazing. I don't, I don't I'm not sure if I'd seen that guy before, but uh, he's great. Yeah, lots of goodness. Lots, lots of goodness on Veep. So what wins this week for you? I'm going to have to go with Bob with Veep just behind. I'm giving it to Bob's just off of Louise, just on Kristen Schaal's performance, and, and just also the animation of it I thought was so perfectly heightened. Um, yeah, yeah, Bob's, Bob's wins this week. Next up, we're going to talk about genre. The time lift. Recent past, possible future. What are you going to do? We write today, I hope. Wait! All those things you said. How we've met before, how I died. Clara, don't worry. You'll forget. Time mends us. It can mend anything. I don't want to forget. Not all of it. The library. I saw it. You were mentioned in a book. I'm mentioned in a lot of books. You call yourself Doctor. Why do you do that? You have a name. I've seen it in one corner of that tiny... If I rewrite today, you won't remember. You won't go looking for my name. I still have secrets. Huh. Better that way. So this week in genre, we had Game of Thrones, Kissed by Fire, Supernatural, Pac-Man Fever, Vampire Diaries, The Originals, Orphan Black, Conditions of Existence, and Doctor Who, Journey to the Center of the TARDIS. First, let's get your, your thoughts on uh, Game of Thrones. I, you know, despite everyone on the internet freaking out about uh, now as watch has ended, I thought this was the better episode, and I think I, I want to say it it was because of these quiet character moments, which you know were were great. I loved the scene at the end with Tywin, Tyrion, and Cersei, uh, and the many horrible things that promises will happen, and you know more about that than I do. Uh, but the obviously the centerpiece sequence was uh, the Jamie Brienne scene, which was just tremendous and uh you know you wouldn't guess that uh, Nikolai Kosterwaldau is not uh yeah doesn't have English as his first language but uh yeah he he they they both did just a just a fantastic job in that sequence and the, obviously the the rehabilitation of that character in our eyes is now complete so I'm curious to see what happens after that and we also got flammable blood so I can't complain that fight scene was pretty badass at the beginning um we talk. We spend plenty of time talking about that on the the San Jose Game of Thrones podcast. So I will just leave it there. Of course, your review is up. Yes, a little bit late, but it is up. 
so you can check out more thoughts about Game of Thrones. Yeah, I'm I'm basically we're right there with you. It was a really great episode of Game of Thrones. I want to talk a little bit about Supernatural Pac-Man Fever. This is our third appearance from Felicia Day on the show in what, two seasons, and I think this might actually be my favorite. The second appearance was less interesting to me. The first and the third are the ones that I really like. I think they've used her very well. What they give her here is more emotional and more truthful than what we got last time, which felt a little too fan-wanky. Um, and so I really liked her here. I think she's a great foil for Dean, especially. And um, just the way they start the episode, I thought worked really, really well and um, was a lot, of, a lot of fun. I don't know that I need to see Felicia Day's you know, Charlie, I don't know that I need to see her back this season or, you know, even at the beginning of next season, but I like keeping her on as, as a recurring character. I think they need to start building back up their world of characters right now. It's pretty much just Garth. So I think having, knowing that she's out there in the world and that she will probably pop up, you know, once a season or something, I think is a good thing. And I would like them to See if they can find similar uses for her as we get this week. But she starts, I'm going to get all emotional, but she starts reading The Hobbit. I was just like, tears? And if you haven't watched the episode, I'm sure you're very confused right now, but, uh, Simon. But but no, it was just, they played that moment perfectly at the end of the episode. And so it was was very effective. Um, Let's move on to Vampire Diaries, which was far less effective. You didn't even watch this week, right? No, I, as per usual, I wait for your signal and then I, uh, and then I proceed accordingly. <laughs> yeah, my review is up at Sound On Sight. I really was very underwhelmed, uh, by this episode. I think, you know, I'm, I'm like negative interested in, in this spinoff. They, it has been ordered up. It is happening. But, um, yeah, I really, I mean, I don't care about Klaus. And it's something I talk about on the TV Times 3 podcast. Just really listen to that and see, you know, if you hear my thoughts there. Uh, <laughs> I went on a bit too long, probably but all my various frustrations with this episode. But you can't make your central character, you can't really even make a primary secondary character, but certainly not your central character in this kind of a show be invincible. And he is. Although, you know, it is the Vampire Diaries and they can construct ridiculous and heretofore unmentioned ways for things to go poorly. Oh, you mean like when you have a random... Like that. Yeah, that didn't even necessarily work that great when they did it on Angel. And I liked Angel. I don't like Klaus. I don't like Haley. Don't ask me to invest in this. It's just, you know, it's been increasingly derivative, you know, certain elements of the show. And so when they pulled that out, I was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. On the plus side, maybe once you have all these characters out of the Vampire Diaries, it can improve. That is very much, you know, I believe that is certainly can't hurt to have Klaus gone. It can hurt to have Elijah gone because I th- actually really like that, that character. But if Elijah is the cost for getting rid of Klaus, I will gladly, gladly take it. So we'll see. I, I hope that they're just off of the Vampire Diaries for the rest of the season. I kind of doubt that, but um, certainly for next year they will be. And that is only a good thing as far as I'm concerned. But let's, let's go on to Orphan Black. Let's talk of, of happier, happier shows. Uh, well, happier, um, better, better shows. Better shows. Uh, this was Conditions of Existence. We got a lot more Paul, and we had the return of Vic the Dick. So, thoughts? Yes, this week we had the return of Vic the Dick, which uh, I guess we really should have seen coming. I, um, I, I'm, I'm still enjoying the show very much. I, um, I'm glad that we're, we've made it this far in, so far in the, um the mythology that's developing is still reasonably interesting. Like I'm not totally 
uh, I'm I'm not fascinated by it, but I'm not annoyed with it either. And I think that's a perfectly decent place to be at this juncture. Uh, It's certainly better than most other comparable shows are at right now. And um, still really, especially, uh, you know, we talk about Dollhouse this week, and I didn't even mention this comparison, but I I, I have to emphasize again just how impressed I am with Tatiana Maslany that now there's, like, by this point, at least with the three principal, um, you know, clones, uh, Sarah, Allison, and uh, Kasima, like, there's there's no, there's no problem separating those characters out in my mind, none whatsoever. Yeah, and it's not just because you know they have they have different wardrobe or you know Kasima has the braid. You know, it's not that. It's it's in her body language and in in uh, just the way she even just holds herself in a scene. Just if you you know have the three of them not talking in a scene, they're very distinct. And yeah, that that does go down to what that what is such a strong central performance from Tati- Tatiana Maslany. Um, yeah, I, I thought this episode was good. I I know some people were not particularly um, excited about it. I. Th- I like what we get from Paul. Um, that's more interesting to me. Um, I'm also interested in Allison's husband. Any theories on that? Do you think this is a mislead, or do you think uh, it's as straightforward as it seems? Uh, I think it's a mislead. He just doesn't seem like the sort of guy who'd be recruited by a shadowy organization to uh, to watch, to, you know, to, to spy on a woman like Allison. He just doesn't doesn't seem like like you'd cast that sort of actor for that. I don't know. Maybe I'm being biased, but. Like, he he just doesn't seem he 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 seems like too schlubby for that. I don't know. Well, and but, you'd think you'd see a difference in his body posture when she wasn't around, like in those scenes of him like burning the whatever he's burning, something like that. You'd think you'd he'd because he's on the phone or whatever. Um, you'd think he'd seem more badass for those couple seconds if it's if it was yeah. all an act, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I could go either way with it. But uh, and we we have to agree that the 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 French chick who's uh, who's I, I guess now courting Kasima has to be has to be a spy right yeah and has I like be. that they seem very aware of that like the characters do as well except that... for Kasima who's just like ooh French lady uh, except the next week on shows I think I have my own person now oh okay I didn't yeah. see the next week on yeah. well there you go uh, uh, as far as Vic the Dick goes I really I think they need to just get rid of that character he doesn't help. Um, the show. I think that's one of those early season one things that the show needs to kind of figure out aren't working. Um, I don't know. I, I I did kind of like him with Allison's kids. Stay in school. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. We get our second indicator that uh, the clones can't have kids this week. Yes. So yes, we do. I'm feeling smart for my theory, but I know I'm not alone on that one. Any other thoughts on this this episode, or shall we move on to Doctor Who? No, I think let's let's get to the Who. Well, I have my review for Doctor Who up and Sound on Sight, and uh, this was a tricky one for me in that I I really enjoyed this episode. Yes, maybe the time zombies um, didn't work for people. I was fine with them. Um, you could kind of see that coming a mile off, but um, I was still fine with it. I didn't really care about the Salvage Brothers, um, and that that should have been more of an issue, but the thing for me with this episode is that it absolutely lived up to its title, and uh, that's that's a big, you know, that's that's a high watermark for me. I thought the TARDIS looked amazing, and I thought the payoff of things like the, the Eye of Harmony and some of these other, you know, very storied parts of the TARDIS uh, were effective, and um, that's 
that can be tricky. So I was really glad to spend some quality time in the TARDIS. I loved the library. I thought it was gorgeous. The, the, the Gallifrey and encyclopedia. I thought that was really neat. You know, there's a bunch of details like that, that I had a lot of fun with this week. Um, and I had one significant issue with the episode, not with the episode, but with the way that it fits into a larger problem of, of Dr. Who, uh, shall I get into that? Or do you want to give your thoughts first? Uh, no, I, I'd like to hear what you have to say. There's a giant, big, friendly reset button. There's literally a reset button in this episode. Right. The big, friendly button. Yeah. And they've they've done that way too many times. It's just, it's a deus ex machina, last second, oh, just do this thing that we haven't set up, and it will solve all of our problems, and our characters will conveniently forget anything that we want them to forget. You know, they've done this on the show Way too many times. Although they did set it up to some they, degree. That's least. why I said in this episode it didn't bother me because they did set it okay. up very well. I only had a problem with it as in, in the way that it fits into this larger trend of, of Doctor Who relying on that. This season alone we had that in Angels uh, Take Manhattan where it's like, oh, well, we'll just rewrite history and, and then that'll solve everything. Which, you know, which was an effective scene of Amy and, and Rory jumping off. But... Still, it shows going back to that that same well. They did it spectacularly in a very meaning in a big grand fashion at the end of season three, and that was terrible. They did, you know, they they like to undo stuff when it when it makes things too complicated for them, and they did it again in and uh, um, last of the Time Lords. They did or they did it again in End of Time. They did it, you know, they've done it so many times, both with Moffat and with RTD, and I'm tired of it. I really don't like the way that the Doctor is treating Clara. And, and like things like she reads his name in a book. You watch Silence in the Library. It was a really big deal that River knew his name. There's only one time I could ever tell you, you know. Um, but apparently if you just happen to wander into the library and see a giant book on a pedestal on display and flip open to a random page, you will discover the doctor, you know, things like that. And to, to, there's no reason for her to, to discover the name other than so that the audience can be reminded that Moffat really cares about that for this season. Because she's gonna forget it, right? And I well, and I guess for me, it's the first time that it's that it's clear to me that the name is something that can be written on a piece of paper and seen exactly and, that and seems very strange, right? In a short period of time, it's not like it's not like a like a library of Babel, never ending <laughs> uh, string of characters that are that are unpronounceable by man, which I sort of. Also, that book Which, should be in Gallifreyan, and the TARDIS doesn't translate Gallifreyan, so that's stupid, too. Who wrote that book? These are... You're, it's now you're punching well above my pay grade. <laughs> my, my who pay grade. So the, the the reset button didn't bother you? You weren't bothered by um, the... Because, like, that scene with the Doctor and Clara where he finally opens up to her about, you know, I've met you several times, and you die every time, and you what are you doing? You're, you're in on it, or something. That was really great, but then again, conveniently, he, you know, he rewrites her memory so that he doesn't have to deal with his his buddy being angry at him, being terrified of him. Right. Uh, I mean, that, I don't, I don't think that, I, I, I was fine with the scene, I, it was, it played, it was better than, I think when we got that clip in like I I forget I think it was at maybe after the first episode we got we got a uh, a clip in like a coming soon where we got a bit of this scene and it was like what are you and I was like oh <laughs> but this this was not that bad thankfully but uh, I I do see where you're coming from I I don't I don't mind their 
being kind of a queasiness to their that relationship, but I don't know if that's what they're going for. Yeah. What did you think of the TARDIS? I thought I, th- I mean I thought visually it was very cool um, for the most part. I but I was annoyed with the time zombies. Why are they trying to kill them? I mean I get that it's time trying to correct itself or whatever, but still it was a bridge too far for me. But Clara's zombie didn't try to kill her. Only the one the one tried to kill or did kill the one brother. But that might be family issues. We don't know. Yeah, I was, it was still too much for me to accept. And I and I, like you, I didn't care about the Salvage Brothers, and I think I was supposed to. Yeah, okay. It was cool to see the swimming pool. It was cool to see the observatory. It was cool to uh, to, to, to see. I thought that tree thing was really neat. I mean, I, there, there was lots of neat things, but still, like, for instance, Clara running for apparently for her life and then stopping to go, ooh, at, like literally go ooh at ooh. each one of those things was like kind of funny at first, but then eventually really uh, okay. highlighted her. And I know that people have had issues with this term recently, but they really highlighted her manic pixiness. Yeah, she's definitely in manic, manic pixie land, uh, certainly. But like Moffat specific manic pixie land, but yeah. Okay. Which show wins this week? And seeing as you are not on the Game of Thrones podcast, feel free to include that in your choice. Well, then Thrones it is. Okay, and I'm going to give it to Doctor Who just because I loved spending time in the TARDIS and it it looks so much better than the Doctor's Wife. I love the Doctor's Wife, an amazing episode, but the inside of the TARDIS looked crappy there because they had no budget. It looks awesome here and go team. Okay, let's move on to our week in reality. was one of the performances from this week's uh, knockout rounds. Uh, this week for Our Week in Reality, we have The Amazing Race and The Voice. I'll start with The Voice. Um, I, th- I thought they mostly did a really good job with these knockouts. I thought Amy was robbed. I can't believe he- Adam picked Caroline. Um, I-, I really don't get the appeal of-, of Caroline. Then again, I mean, is this just me? I get really annoyed when people change the pronunciation of words for, for no vocal reason. Uh, is that just me? I feel like it feels so incredibly mannered and forced. Like there, there are times when shifting a vowel can affect the way it places in in the mask and really shape the tone of that note. I feel like a lot of times indie artists think it makes them alt and cool if they pronounce words wrong. Is that just me? Oh, oh, that's a, that's a very complicated question. You know, maybe it's because they listened to, uh, to too much Bowie as a kid or, 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 or in general, or they're trying to ape the 
their favorite. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to say. I don't know if she's cynically attempting to to uh, be more, like you say, alternative, or if it's the matter of a specific influence that she probably should have ditched uh, from her early days. Uh, I, I, I don't know enough about her background or that, or the background of that particular vocal mangling uh, to, to say, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's about uh, looking for an, uh, for a certain, to, to, to produce a certain effect or if it's, uh, just something she picked up along the way and shouldn't have. Well, and it's not just something, it's not just like a Caroline thing. I, it's it's something I was noticing throughout the blind auditions all the time. Basically, people who'd self-described as indie were about 75% more likely to mangle random words. There was There's a lot of a way instead of a way, but if you're going to hold out the first syllable of a way, it, you know, you kind of sound weird going, uh, you know, for a long time. Right. So I get that, you know, if there's a, if there's a legitimate stylistic or um, vocal reason to do it, I am fine. But I feel like a lot of the times it's just this affectation where, you know, when, when you're, when you're a musician, every single thing you do should be thought out. If you're, what type of vibrato you use on which specific notes should be thought out, it should be, a, should be an intentional decision. Or if you don't want to th- analyze it in that way, you should be an emotional decision that, you know, that's why you're doing it. And so I get, I get frustrated by things like that. Um, especially when then that, that gets piled on with, oh, so there's so, such a unique artist. Nobody has that kind of a sound. I'm like... You aren't listening to the radio enough if you think that we haven't heard that before. But that's me. That's my rant. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, let's move on to uh, The Amazing Race. Um, you you were not able to catch up? No. No, I wasn't. I was second place this week on just this, just this Week by two points. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm still in second to last place overall. But I did feel very proud of myself for at least having, you know, beaten mario this week um and i'm tied for third to last place what 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 but really it all comes down to the last week that's where the the you know the points double and everything can really change um do you know how maybe i could win well theoretically you could get 40 points for correctly guessing who um who wins along with whatever points you have banked on your team from before and then it's 10 points for if you correctly get who's in second place and five points for if you correctly get who's in third place. So there are 55 points. And right now I think Mario is in first place, you know, by by somewhat of a margin, not that big a margin, though. I really think a lot could change in this last week. But he, he, I think he has like 40 points or something. So there are more points available this week than anybody yeah, has. has. Right. Which shows yeah. you how un, how, you know, much we have not predicted well the, as a right. group this season. Well, and it also, like, as, yeah, I just really don't care at this point. <laughs> I, I sh- maybe I should, but I, I don't. The, I, 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 I've just been so disengaged. So right now we have Mario in first with 53 points. We have Dan with 43. Jess is tied with 43 as well. So that's, you know, that really could change. Uh, Mary Jo is 37. Mandy, Amanda has 36. Kyle and I are at 30. What, what? And, and uh, you're sitting with. Uh, 13 at the moment it says right here that you have not picked a new team yet (laughs) you realize you've just given away (laughs) points for several weeks (laughs) maybe i forgot to do that (laughs) 
But um, yes, make sure that you that you make your picks this week, uh, Simon. Because oh, I did. I actually already did. You already I did. I didn't notice that I didn't have an overall pick. Yes, well. yes. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But no matter what, thank you, Mario, Dan, Jess, Mary Jo, Amanda, and Kyle for joining us in the pool this season. It really does make it a lot more fun for us. I hope hopefully it makes it more fun for you as well. But. Um, but yeah, it's been an underwhelming season. I was I was listening to Hey Watch This, and they were talking about how the teams have, are really great this season, and they're glad to have people at, left at the end that they care about. Um, guys, you're watching a different show. Yeah, than we are. Definitely. But um, anyways, we'll see. We'll see how it winds up. We should move on to our week in drama. I want you to know that I don't want you to be alone. Not now, and not ever. We'll beat this together. No, it's your fight, baby, but I'm in your corner. I'm not going anywhere. I appreciate that, Jack. I do. But I'm not comforted by it. I know that's what you need, and I... You need to comfort me. I can't give you what you need. Don't worry about what I need. Why wouldn't you tell me? I thought if I kept it to myself, our lives wouldn't change. I didn't count on changing as much as I did. This week for uh, drama, we have Hannibal, uh, Coquille, Mad Men, The Flood, Rectify, Modern Times, and The Americans, The Oath. Um, let's, uh, let's let's jump in with Hannibal. Uh, they they cut the episode that was supposed to air this week, which they're calling sif, but that doesn't make any sense because that's not a word, whereas uff is the French word for egg and would clearly fit in with both the clips we saw online this week as well as the food and French theme. So that seems like a really clear typo on the NBC official site, too. That was very odd to me. Um, I like those scenes. I thought this episode was creepy and kind of awesome. I know you're not as as unbored with, as I am with Hannibal. What did you think? Uh, you know, it's funny. The um, I actually thought that the uh, domestic drama that was stuck into this serial killer show this week was actually more interesting than the serial killer show. Uh, I really liked everything we got with Lawrence Fish- Fishburne and Gina Torres. I find it hilarious that NBC can still get amazing actors in on their underwatch dramas. Uh, and, you know, it's great that they can still do that somehow, but I'm wondering when that dam's going to break. And, you know, it's nice to see Gina Torres act off of her husband playing her husband oh i didn't know that oh yeah yeah they're married yeah oh well no wonder they were so good then yeah no well that doesn't always work as we've seen many times on other shows but uh, no i thought that you know just the performances i was watching this going you know yes this is written incredibly well but you guys are so lucky you got larry fishburne in here and gita torres who is amazing in her brief scenes i hope we get more from her just as a periphery kind of character i'm sure she's busy on suits still but um no i i love those scenes yeah, uh, the rest of the episode was fine, but that that was the stuff that stood out for me. Oh, creepy skin angels is just fine. Yeah, I don't know. I just I, it's funny how uh, we we've we've talked in the past about how Hannibal will more sort of artfully cut around violence or like be you know find ways to just insinuate the worst things, and then this week they were just flat out showing it the whole time. <laughs> which I was like, okay, I guess we're at this stage of 
of the show, and it's like, uh, you know, it the, the makeup was great. Uh, you know, the the show is visually stunning on a whole bunch of levels. But uh, and actually, I should also mention the the music on the show is fantastic. I I haven't really seen anyone talk about that, but the original scoring uh, is is really interesting. The the theme song is bizarre in a good way. It's I don't even know what sounds are making what what instruments are making those sounds to be entirely clear. So uh, I think that's been great. And on an aesthetic level, it's, it's it's fantastic. I just you know I just don't know if I need that still i i just i wish i could apply everything that's great about the show to some other show basically <laughs> let's move on to mad men the flood i liked this episode a lot more than last week i had uh you know just just scenes like bobby it's nice to you know our latest bobby that is watching planet of the apes and just i you know i love i thought they really captured that moment of being a young person and and getting cinema or getting you know art in, in that way the, just watching him react to planet of the apes and really how old is that character like 10 or something 10 or 11 yeah understanding everything that movie is about uh in a way that i'm sure most of the people in that audience might not have uh, i thought it was great yeah in terms of attention to detail it seemed like they got an actual print of planet of the apes or uh mucked up a digital one uh well and either way it was it was really nicely executed I, and, and the fact that we got the actual credits was great little things like that make me happy um yeah i i, I loved that scene and uh in general and i and, and the whole payoff to um when we find out that the uh the the, the fretting that bobby's been doing it doesn't really have anything to do with don <laughs> uh, i think uh presages uh some interesting stuff and uh, I continue to enjoy um, weirdly happy domestic Betty. Um, yeah. And uh, sort of the last notes she got with Henry Francis. I also love the, the, that they're sticking to Pete being the um, the, the resident liberal at uh, at at uh, Sterling Cooper Draper Price, even though they're also sticking to him being the biggest asshole ever. Although still maybe not quite as much of an asshole as Harry. Well, I, I tweeted out as I was watching, holy crap, did Pete just have the moral high ground on something? Because that it felt very strange. <laughs> but it, but it's consistent with his character. He's always yeah. been, he's always had those views. Well, and not, but not even just as, you know, looking at the, you know, Dr. King's role in, in, in the civil rights movement or just... I, I, this was a man who had a wife and kids and somebody important has died. Take away the civil rights element to it. Just I mean like have some fucking respect. You know, I thought yeah. that was that that was just amazing and we haven't had that sort of just moral correctness from Pete in a long time. So I appreciate her correctness of any kind. Of any kind, um, really. Yes. Yeah, and I I also loved. I mean, I, I'm assuming we're not going to see much of Allison Brie going forward, but I did like her stick sticking to her guns, uh, even in the midst of that rather horrible moment. Yeah, I'd like to say Joan was looking amazing uh, this week. I loved when she pulled out her glasses. I was like, "Girl is rocking it." Yes, just me. Yes. <laughs> somebody saw so somebody tweet out my sexual orientation is Christina Hendricks. I thought that was pretty great. <laughs> I uh, I really liked everything we got we got with Ginsburg as well, um, and I, I I don't know why I, for some reason nobody I talked I, I talked to likes Ginsburg or his dad, and I like both of them. Yeah, I like them. Okay, you talked about Betty. I really liked her scenes. The that last scene with her in the mirror and the dress just kind of gut punched me. 
Um, so I know you're a Betty defender. I, I, you know, I really liked her in this episode, and I agree. It's nice to see her being being happy. As far as Don goes, uh, I really liked, you know, because I've had trouble with Don this season because I felt like it's the exact same story. So it was wonderful to see a beat from him that is is also him being terrible as he's been, but it feels like something we haven't heard from him. Felt like something new, and I would like. It doesn't need to always be him being a good father or deciding he's going to try to actually comfort his son in the most hilariously bitchy way. Um, but <laughs> but just he's to, not that important. <laughs> just to see something that felt like a, a new beat from him was really nice. What does it say about me that I thought the line before he said it? Like, I, I thought, like, oh, if this is me, I'd totally say, no one's ever going to kill Henry Francis. He's not important. <laughs> like, I, I thought it, and then he said it, and I was like, oh, I'm Don. <laughs> Any further thoughts on this episode? Peggy? Abe? Um, Abe, Abe redeemed himself a little bit this week, which is good, because he's generally totally useless. And it makes me feel slightly less bad about Peggy apparently being stuck with him for some reason. But uh, I feel like that, that relationship is not going to last this season. I, that's the thing. I feel like it probably will, as much as none of us want it to. He, well, I guess we'll see what happens with Teddy. I think that's what's gonna be the potentially changing factor. But, um, but no, I still feel like it's very much a him. Love Stan this week. Stan continues to be great. I, I loved him cracking up at uh, at William Maypother. Yeah. Uh, and his bizarreness. Yeah, that that he he totally made that scene. <laughs> Definitely. Any final thoughts, or shall we move on to rectify? Uh, well, and can I, as, as long, we were just discussing Stan, so I just need to say, dude, the beard's gone too far, way too far. It's gone Planet of the Apes far. I don't know if they intended for us to make that connection. Interesting. I'll have to think about that for the next episode, see where I fall. I, I just want all the terrible mustaches, the greasy, like, mustache look. I know it's very period and it's not going anywhere, but. Oh, but especially Ginsburg. It doesn't help Ginsburg. Oh, at God, all. it really doesn't help Ginsburg. Uh, anyway, so we want to rectify. And, I mean, this is another really strong episode, and um, I don't really have much new to say about it because it feels such of a piece with the first two episodes, but I like this, this window into his um, arrested adolescence. And, um, yeah, I continue to be really impressed with the series. Yeah, I, I think there were a few more slightly cornball moments in this episode uh, compared to previous ones. And it, it is sort of notable how incredibly little happened. But uh, when the acting and the writing is generally this good, I don't really care. It, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how, like, because so little happened this week that I'm wondering if what the pacing is going to be like for the remaining three episodes. Uh, like how far are they going to take this over this time span and um, like how much plot ground are they going to cover? You know, because for, for instance, there are some things that are just seem destined to happen. Like we know that uh, the, the Adelaide Clemens character, uh, Teddy Jr.'s wife, uh, we know that she's, you know, clearly very interested in Daniel and probably something will happen there, especially as she clearly hates her husband. <laughs> uh, but you know, they're, they're very clearly leaning in that direction, foreshadowing that, but it's not clear how long that's going to take. Yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see what comes uh, of that. I mean, I, I, there was a lot of early word on Rectify that it was, um, you know, the critical analysis or discussion saying that it's very slow. Um, I don't really feel like it's slow, though, uh, because I feel like I'm, I don't really, I, I'm interested in the, the plot of it all of, you know, f you know, finding out what happened to whatever extent they intend to let us find out. But for me, I'm just really interested in these characters, particularly the central performance so strong and in the rest of the you know world around him that 
you know, this felt like getting to the episode where we first are starting to get to know him. And, and so to me, I felt like there was so much happening this week in sort of a Mad Men kind of way where nothing actually happens, but so much happens. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not actually having any issue with, with the pacing. I don't think we're going to get really hardly any forward movement on the, the case as it were this season. That's my prediction. So maybe because that's what I'm expecting that's affecting, you know, my feel of the pacing, but, um, but no, I'm, I'm really on board. Right. And uh, I just wanted to also mention, and I, I think it's interesting that we're now three hours in and we still have absolutely no evidence to suggest that Daniel didn't commit the rape and murder. Have they even found the body yet of the guy who killed himself? No, or, or at least, it, it, I mean, they were there yeah, um, in the spot where it happened. And there was no police tape. So was, and yeah, there was and apparently no body. So yeah, I was I was waiting for them to find the body in that scene, but so yeah, the fact that there's no body might be interesting. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Any final thoughts on Rectify or the Amer? It's time for the Americans. I think we can get to the Americans. So this is our second to last episode of the season. Next week we'll have a season spotlight on the American season one, which is part of why it's not in the spotlight this week. But a lot happened. You know, I, I kind of forgot that this was the, the the penultimate episode until we had all of these reversals start start happening. Um, but I think my single biggest takeaway isn't you know the defections, isn't the 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 various um, listening devices. It's oh poor Martha. Oh, that cannot end well. I'm, I'm, I'm really actually hoping. I, I, I guess it's probably not, but I'm sort of hoping that marriage gets just torpedoed next week somehow. Because I don't think I could take like a whole other season or half season of Martha getting str- getting strung along. It's just too much. Uh, in in a good way. I'm not complaining. It's just it's just hard to watch. Yeah, because we like Martha. Yeah, it's not even it's not even so much that I like Martha. It's just I no one should have to go through that but anyway the um i thought it was a really good episode uh the the way that they're turning the screws for this last little bit with everyone knowing what everyone else knows but also not knowing that other thing but etc etc those those concentric circles of knowledge and suspicion i think are are a a really great way for them to to move forward and I'm, i'm also um i was really is this the first time we've gotten granny in a wig yeah it might be yeah that was great. And just the whole conceit of, oh, I need a family. Uh, Let's just put them all in the same glasses. That was hilarious. Uh, it was just so... Everything about that sequence was just hard to watch, again, in a good way. And um, I, I like the revelation that, that, of course, they never... It, I mean, it should have occurred to me, but it, it, to have them actually say, you know, we never had a wedding. We were just married. Though, uh, you'd think they would need to have wedding pictures as part of their cover? Well, and maybe they do, but it doesn't mean That's they have true. a wedding. That's true. That's true. Good point. Well played, sir. I'm I'm less interested in Stan still, but uh, I, I am very interested in Nina and uh, and her her arc. Um, it, maybe it's just me. A lot of, I, as I was watching this episode, I couldn't help but be reminded of Friends, and they don't know that we know that they know that we know. And yes. all the, I, 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 you know, that just brought an extra smile to my face. But um, yeah, I said early on that I wouldn't be surprised if this turns into the story of how Philip and Elizabeth uh, end up defecting. And uh, I don't think that'll be something they do in the season one finale. But I, I the, the specter of that still sort of remains for me. And I think it shows how strong of a uh, presence um, the Nina character has become. That that does actually eventually feel like a potentially feasible 
thing that could happen where it turns into the Russian spy and the the American spies kind of duking it out. I don't know. What do you what do you think about that? I think Annette Mahandrew's uh, really grown in, in the role, and uh, another one of those cases of you know you you know you you don't expect uh, range and and talent and. We, we, we keep making this mistake all the way back to Spartacus and further than that. You, you don't expect range and talent and, and, you know, a variety of expression from, like, the really pretty people. And, you know, she's there to prove that wrong again. And I, she's been great throughout. And I, uh, I love that we, there, we don't even know precisely what she's even doing with Stan still. Like we, yeah. We don't know, like, to what degree, if to any degree anything she's said to him is genuine i'm gonna go with no um but who knows yeah like it's it's really they could go either way with that and it would still be fine and a lot of that is up to her performance yeah i you know she she was in uh, escape from tomorrow which is one of the films that screamed at e, screened at ebert fest and she was there for the the q a and so you know i've gotten to see her in a couple of different things and she's she's very good it's a nothing part really in escape from tomorrow but she's very good in it so it she's really been one of the bigger discoveries her and of course matthew reese um i, I felt like i knew all the other central performers but uh but those two have been the discoveries for me this season and it's been great television i look forward to what the finale is going to pull out you know definitely that wraps up our, our week in drama what wins for you this week sir I'm gonna go with <laughs> the Americans, just slightly over Mad Men. I'll give it to yeah, I guess I'll give it to to Mad Men. Um, it feels wrong kind of putting anything over Rectify right now, but um, but yeah, I'm gonna give it, gonna give it to Mad Men. It's not. It felt nice to actually really be engaged by a Mad Men episode in a way that I haven't so far this season. So that's what's getting my vote. All right. Let's take a break, listen to a little music, and come back with our spotlight on the Good Wife season four finale, What's in the Box? That was Black Tambourine by Beck, which was featured in this week's episode of The Good Wife, the finale What's in the Box. What uh, about this episode puts it in the the uh, spotlight for you, sir? Well, I think, first of all, I think it caps off a really, really strong last six, seven episode run for The Good Wife, which I think we can agree was a little shaky for quite a while in the midway period, especially because of what they'd saddled Kalinda with. I think they managed to recover that from that exceptionally well. Uh, which we probably should have seen coming because The Good Wife is great. But still, it's nice to see uh, showrunners learn from mistakes. And uh, and I think that I assume that that's how they came up with the character of Robin because they needed someone else for Kalinda to be interacting with. And I think uh, Jess, White, Jess Weichler has been a fantastic addition. I think uh, the 
it's as good. I think it's as good an episode for what it sets up next season than just for what's in this episode. I think it's it's just as important for a finale to be a good episode as it is for us to signpost future greatness. And I think it, this does that splendidly. It was really fun. Uh, and it, there was lots of great thing, you know, uh, you know, like you said, lots of great fodder for next season. As we predicted, she's heading off with the other firm. Let's talk about that ending scene or sequence. Um, that was obviously going to be Carrie, right? The, they were trying to mislead and get you to think it was going to be Will and, that was not going to happen. It was going to be Carrie. It seemed it seemed blatant. I mean, maybe it's because we've discussed it so much on the podcast, but um, when the way that they filmed it felt very gotcha, and and I mean, I don't buy her talking to Carrie in the hallway about how she's going to leave the firm. Like, I don't know. I had I had that felt really false to me. Whereas the rest of the episode felt much more seamless and felt much more in keeping with the tone of the show. Um, I, I didn't really have a problem with it. it. It didn't occur. It didn't really dawn on me for sure that it was going to be Carrie until I don't know, probably 30 seconds before it happened, just based on how long they were lingering in the apartment. And just if, you know, if it, if it was going to be, Will, something in my brain said, this would have all happened faster. Yeah. Um, so that's when like, so to that degree, maybe it didn't feel as obvious to me, but it definitely did at a certain point, if that makes any sense. But I didn't mind because it was what I was hoping for out of the episode. So that was fine by me. Uh, I did think it was interesting, though, that I don't think after this episode I'm ever going to be able to accept a, uh, a maybe Peter is changing his ways uh, plot line because he was just such a dick in this episode. <laughs> um, it's not my re- – I'm not taking the responsibility for this or whatever it is he said. Like, this is not my problem. Like, mm-hmm. Yes, it is. You just It's only your campaign, buddy. Yeah, if you didn't know before, you know now, and you really don't seem to care that somebody in your campaign, if not you, was trying to steal an election for you. So Yeah, and didn't have to. Yeah. Also, which I thought was a nice touch. Well, but I was watching that didn't have to scene going, Okay, well how many ballot boxes did they stuff? Oh, yeah, I did. that didn't even occur to me. Because twenty thousand votes, twenty eight thousand votes adds up after a while. Do that a couple times. That that is true. Maybe maybe they just went bigger. I mean, it is Chicago, um, but uh, not to just just to poke a little funny. <laughs> um, but um, uh, I mean, other than that, I, th- I thought what I was really impressed with, even though it was a you know a, a, a season ender and there was a lot of at stake and big dramatic moments, it was a really fun episode. I mean, Dennis O'Hare, I think, is the best judge. I think if I had to if I had to just pick one. He's my favorite guest judge, period. Well, and didn't I say like two weeks ago, I want to have the Dennis O'Hare judge back and the Anna Gassire judge back? And they gave me both of them. I was so happy. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they were great. And um, we also got, of course, on Martha Plimpton, who mm-hmm. is always a good time. Always great. And just, you know, we, we were swinging back and forth between uh, Justified and, and Good Wife for Ridiculous guest cast but i i have to stick to good wife after this just after being reminded of how deep their bench is yeah there's just there's got to be 40 like like there's there has to be at least 40 people they've brought in and out just to be like oh yeah that guy they're awesome that that chick's awesome well there are at least 76 because kate arthur ranked them for our buzzfeed uh the the uh 76 guest stars that have appeared um i think this is before 
the the finale. It might have included the finale actually, who have appeared at least three times. And there are some very memorable judges and other characters who have only appeared twice so far. So I think she should expand on that next next year. I didn't you know agree with several of her rankings. She has Anika Noni Rose way too high, for example. As that character, um, but uh, but no, it was is hilarious, and uh, you should check it out if you haven't checked it out yet. Uh, I, I will. It's a lot of fun. Seventy six, and 76. that's the ones who've been appeared three times. God damn. Yep. That's ridiculous. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's there's there's really no no contest then. <laughs> uh, but um, I don't know. I, I, I what did we make of this last scene between Kalinda and and Carrie? Are we are, are we to take it that he was not the one who reached out to Robin or? Merely that he didn't hope that she would find out. Yeah, well, we saw him reach out to Robin. Um, we saw the beginning of the scene where if the camera hung out, he would have reached out to Robin. Um, so we know he did. But he was hoping that that wouldn't get back to Kalinda, I think. Um, I think he wanted to keep his options open um, because I don't think that he necessarily knew Kalinda was going to come on board. And I, I also think it was very foolish of him to not say don't talk to Kalinda about this. Um, Cause obviously he needed to say, keep this on the yeah. DL, but she's new. Spell it out for her. She doesn't know that you've approached Kalinda, you know? Yeah, that's true. And, and I'll, although also I'm a little bit irritated with how personally Kalinda takes everything. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's a bargaining process. These things happen, you know, and maybe it's also for the best that you don't work in the same building. Yeah. Um, though, I don't know. It's interesting because I think her decision should be affected by by um, Alicia going with, and I feel like they're not going to let it be because of this ep- of this episode. I think they're, you know, it seems like uh, you know that that scene between her and Carrie feels very locked in stone. Next season, it'll be Jess, not Kalinda, and then we'll have somebody we're rooting for on the other side, which makes sense and all that, but. I, I really feel like th- the character would reconsider, despite Carrie being a dick, um, because of Alicia. And so, I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens with it next season. But Yeah. I mean, I didn't even really buy it as Carrie being a dick. I just thought he was trying to do the best he could with, you know, he has a lot of, he's he's juggling a lot of plates on this one. Well, and, he, and Kalinda should have a little more confidence in, in his, his read of her, in his value of her. Yeah, he was getting a quote from from Jess, but he knows she's better. So yeah. Anyway, I, I mean, I, I thought in general it was a really good finale. I uh, we this I think maybe the last thing we should talk about is uh, I know that we discussed a little bit uh, beforehand the you know what is I or maybe we even ask this every season like what is the happy ending for the good wife? Mm-hmm. I think a season later we're not any closer to figuring that out, which I find fascinating. Um, as far as the men in her life goes, it seems pretty clear she's best off with none of the above. So you're you're probably right. I mean, I I think that in general I lean a little bit more towards Will, if only because I feel like most of the more odious things he's done were based on trying to be good at his job, uh, whereas many of the odious things Peter's done had nothing to do with trying to be good at his job. Uh, so they're slightly less defensible. Does that make sense? Yeah, but the thing is, uh, Will is his own boss. He can define what his job is, and he chooses. Can you know, he though? Because yeah. ultimately, he's still he's responsible. He's accountable to people who aren't him, even though he is the boss, and his profession 
deems certain responsibilities. Those weren't decided by him. Yeah, but even if you look at, for example, how they treated the fourth years, how they treated the assistants, you know, those are types of decisions you know, didn't need to be made the way that they were. Um, That's true. The way, you know, keeping information from the partners about um, about Diane being in consideration for judgeship. Um, you know, things like that, which, yes, there's a there's two sides that both are very have very interesting and strong arguments to be made. But um, I, certainly not Peter. And I think the show needs to do it. You know, they do a pretty good job of, of underlining that this week. And I like that Alicia made her decision before knowing about the electioneering, you know, the, the rigging, the votes before, you know, having that that extra bit of maybe I shouldn't be working with somebody who's going to allow, you know, rigging of voting, you know. So it felt like a more truthful decision from her because she doesn't know that yet. But I don't know. It's just uh, certainly not Peter. Will's better than Peter for her at this point. But I just, there's got to be somebody better out there. She's awesome. Yeah, but men are kind of terrible. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) If she needs someone, I guess it may as well be Will, but maybe she's just better off hiring a set of attractive male prostitutes. (laughs) <laughs> Lovely. It's not like she can't afford them. Well, on that note, uh, before we go to our DVD shelf with Kate Renabaum talking about Dollhouse, a few show notes. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. We'll have a post up at org about this uh, episode. Please leave us some comments. Let us know what you're, what you're thinking of, of The Good Wife and all these other shows that we talked about this week. Um, let us know your... your uh, your predictions for the amazing race and, and all of that. Um, of course, uh, you can reach us by email, the televerse at gmail.com. We are both on Twitter. I'm at the televerse. You are at sucker. Howell. And, uh, we also of course have an M M four, a chaptered feed and an MP three unchaptered feed up in iTunes. Uh, so we would very much appreciate taking foster co as an example and leaving us another rating or review. That would be very much appreciated. Um, Simon, what should our question be? Well, you know, we discuss, uh, the opening theme to dollhouse a little bit in our dollhouse spot. And I was talking about Hannibal earlier. So I'm, I'm curious as to what people's favorite, uh, theme songs and or show intros are right now okay good question let us know and uh with that we will take a quick break listen to some music and a clip and come back with kate renabaum from sound on site to talk about joss whedon's dollhouse are as innocent and vulnerable as children. Hello, Echo. How are you feeling? Did I fall asleep? Now imagine the imprint process filling it, creating a new personality. A friend, a lover, a confidant in a sea of enemies. Everything you want, everything you need. She will be. Every time I look deeper, I find more clients, larger amounts of money. And a web of financial and political connections all over the world to corporations, the government, even inside the FBI. There is nothing less than a conspiracy directly traceable back to the Ross Corporation. I'm all of them, but none of them is. 
It's me. Do you know who's real? Imagine this technology being used. Now imagine it being used on you. It's my mind. Not for some time now. And we will be over. As a species, we will cease to matter. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are rounding out the Joss Whedon archive of television series, so far at least. This week we're talking Dollhouse, and here to help us with that is a frequent contributor, shall we say, to Sound on Sight, Kate Runnebaum. Kate, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so, Dollhouse, obviously... You know, we're fans of, of Joss Whedon's work here at the Televerse. We talked about all his other shows. Um, but uh, this is one that we, we saved for it for last. I don't know how actually how ingenuous that might be. That might be a bit disingenuous. Uh, it's the one that was sort of left because it's it, to, if you talk to a lot of Whedon fans, it sort of becomes the ugly stepchild of of the Whedon verse. And uh, but I think it's actually a really fascinating show to talk about. So uh, why don't we start off with what prompted you to choose Dollhouse to talk about? That was me. I choose it. I chose it, didn't I? Um, the reason I wanted to talk about it was that I think, like you said, I think it is a far more interesting show than maybe it gets credit for. And I'm sure we can get into the details of why this is, but it is it is a flawed show. I mean, it is there is a lot of problems with it in a number of regards. But that being said, I think the ideas behind what he's trying out in this kind of sci-fi structure that he sets up are some of the most really interesting and kind of radical in terms of sort of his philosophy that he develops across all these shows i actually think dollhouse does some like really unusual stuff that's very different than is going on in the other shows so that was why i wanted to talk about it because i love it <laughs> well and it also marks such a, a difference you know really in in his his work you have buffy and angel which buffy feels like uh this culty poppy uh fantasy s- series angel to me feels more you know noir obviously some fantasy in there as well firefly to me feels like a western and this dollhouse is hard sci-fi yeah it is for sure well come on hold on a second hard hard sci-fi tends to imply and i don't mean to put on my nerd glasses but hard sci-fi tends to imply that you're working with something like real science uh, or theoretically real science. And if if Doctor Who gets uh, timey-wimey, I think this, this gets mindy-windy. Does that make sense? Well, Doctor Who is fantasy, but okay. <laughs> you see what I'm, where I'm going with this. I do. Uh, I, I wouldn't go... I, it, it's hard sci-fi in the sense that it is straight-up sci-fi and not, you know, the, you know, Firefly was dressed as sci-fi but was a Western. Is that what we're going for here? Well, just the, the way that it approaches... Uh, it, it's it's philosophical and um, and really just these deeper discussions. And that's something that I think sci-fi at its heart, the hard sci-fi, that's something that I feel like it does. Okay. As opposed to just setting a story in a futuristic setting or on a spaceship or something like that. It You know, hard sci-fi, and I'm sure I would love to get some hate mail, uh, theteleverse at gmail.com. Let me know how I'm wrong with this d- definition. See, but... when I think of like hard sci-fi, I think of dudes like David Brin, who I don't know if you, you know what I'm talking about, but uh, you know, this to me is just more straight up regular old soft sci-fi. But with that, anyway, we're getting way off track. Let me just put my little bit of opinion in there. I, I mean, I don't know about this distinction between soft sci-fi and hard sci-fi, but I, I mean, I think the thing that, that maybe sets the show apart in terms of like making it sci-fi is that it does have that kind of one 
element that that sort of really underpins, like it changes the world that they're in. There is one element, and it is this technology that allows them to do these things with people's brains that really does change the whole world. And I think for me that that is what makes it sci-fi. Whereas, like you said, um, Firefly is is really the world isn't that different. They're just in a different setting. Like the relationships are similar. It's just a different setting. So that was that would be my only distinction for arguing that this is sci-fi. But anyway, right. Uh, anyway, the I, I think I'm the resident doesn't really make sense Whedon skeptic, uh, but I guess that's the position that I've placed myself in. But uh, I, I I approached this series with quite a bit of trepidation, knowing that it was sort of the black sheep of the Whedon TV family, and I I feel like there are, there's a lot to enjoy about it. I do think it's fatally flawed in some pretty basic ways that. Some of those problems people should have anticipated. Some of them I don't know if they had any way to. Uh, there's obviously some casting issues, which I'm sure we'll get to. But I think the main flaw of the show, and maybe you guys will agree with me on this, is that that it's 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 alleviated from time to time. But for me personally, I didn't find it that much fun to watch all that often, which is surprising considering his his past projects. The the level of dourness and the self seriousness do become a problem for me. And it makes sense because he's dealing with a very dark setting, some very dark ideas, dark themes. And, you know, and, and a lot of those themes are very interesting, although sometimes they do get a little bit on the preachy end of things. But he does, for the first time, let it get in the way of the levity that he usually brings to his TV projects. And it's kind of a problem for me. It's it's certainly a didactic show. And that was the... If I were to label one element that was the most difficult for me to sort of approach this time through it was that it i really felt the a very heavy hand in the moralizing and the the message of the show well why don't we why don't you clarify what using the message of the show is then just so we can get that out of the way so we can so we can say that we agree on it or disagree uh, slavery is wrong and what is a soul okay Okay, but you do you don't you don't think the show has an answer to the question what is the soul? Um, I think it does. I think I mean I think it really explores that in interesting ways. I find it very interesting. For example, at the end, the the solution where they are able to reset everybody, you know, which shouldn't really make sense given what they've established before. But there's a sense that the the underneath there is still that same information of who, of that person is still there. You can't erase a soul, um, and so I think there you know there is an answer there, but. Uh, and obviously there, this is something that they explore in different ways throughout the series, but I did, you know, and maybe it's because the episodes that I was rewatching, I kind of, I, I hit the, the big tentpole sort of episodes where, which maybe if I was watching every single episode this time through, you know, that would be spaced out more for me. But when you're watching the pilot and then man on the street, and then some of these other really big episodes, they always come back to, you can't sign a contract to make yourself a slave. You can't, you know, these issues, which obviously I agree with philosophically, but I, I didn't feel like I needed them so blatantly told to me. Well, I think it's worse in some episodes than others. Ironically, the most didactic, most problematic moment for me like that actually is the very end of the episode that people freak out the most about, which is Epitaph 1. And obviously, in context, people had other reasons to freak out about that episode because it didn't even air in North America. But when we get to the end of that episode and and uh, and, a, and a, we literally have a character say, we played with matches and got burned. It's like, oh, really? Did we need that? Well, I don't know, though. I think this is one of the problems. This is one of the reasons why the show gets written off a little too quickly is that I think... 
I think a like I mean you can you can give it maybe more credit than you should because of all the problems it had with almost perpetually being canceled. But I think one of the things that I like about the show is that its philosophy is not easily summed up by looking at one episode. And realistically, I don't think the philosophy ever exists in any in any delimited thing. It's not one character. It's not one thing that somebody says. It's more the way the show works as a whole. And and I agree. I mean, I think, Kate, you maybe picked up on an interesting thing when you said that at the end, when they do reset the world, it does sort of imply that maybe everybody always had a soul all along that was really there and they just revert back to it, which is why... I don't know. I mean, I actually kind of love the finale. I think there's some great stuff in the finale, but it philosophically for me, it's a problem because it reverts back in a, in a way that ties up the narrative, but gives up on so much of the interesting stuff they're doing. And and one of the things I, I wanted to talk about was that I actually think the show is really interested in trying to come up with legitimate, like interesting, entertaining ways to structure around, to structure a narrative around the idea that like, there is no soul that there is no there is no reason why we have to be the same person one moment to the next and the show is really trying to grapple with that and i and i think it hits a lot of walls i think it's why it fails in so many fundamental ways for example why it does not have a character at the center of it that anybody likes i mean nobody likes the eliza the eliza uh, dishku character which is I don't think that's necessarily the actress's fault. I think it's the problem of trying to structure a show around a non-person, around a person who who doesn't have a continuous soul. I, I don't know. What do you What do you guys think about that? I definitely agree. I think that's universally acknowledged as maybe the biggest problem the show faced uh, from the get-go. I don't think the casting of Dushku helped, and I don't think anyone thinks it helped. I doubt Joss Whedon thinks it helped now. He probably did at the time. Um, but I think that, yeah, there's definitely, especially if you're comparing it to Whedon's other series, there's definitely a personality deficit that is a big problem. But I did want to bring up something uh, a friend of mine said right before we recorded this segment. She's a, a huge Whedon nerd, huge Whedon nerd. And as, and as soon as I brought up that I was doing a dollhouse segment, I, I said, you probably have some thoughts about that. She said, no, I have no thoughts. Uh, just dollhouse is a total write-off for me i said oh that's that's odd um you know because you're such a weed nerd and she said well yeah but i don't i don't see like what she said was there's hardly a trace of whedon in dollhouse at all and i thought that was a very strange thing to say so i was hoping that some smarter minds than me might be able to argue if you feel like arguing how it fits in with whedon's other series i can do it yeah easily go for it kate Well, um, I actually, Simon I, and Kate, I don't know if you guys knew this, but uh, a couple of years ago, I submitted an essay to uh, like an online contest to write about Dollhouse. And Jane Espenson, one of the uh, Whedon like pantheon of writer people, uh, picked it to be the opening essay for this book that she was uh, publishing about Dollhouse. And basically, that's what I do in it is I sort of argue about how uh, how how Whedon is kind of altering his his own sort of conception of identity and, and his philosophy in relation to the other shows. And um, I mean, basically it's about the idea that the, like for example, in, in Angel and Buffy, we have this sort of idea that we all kind of know about of um, his sort of existentialist viewpoint of we make our choices in the world and we there is no reward, there is no transcendent like moral authority that rewards right and wrong. We simply have to make our decisions and act on those. And that is a, that is fighting for the good thing that we decide is good is its own reward. And And basically I think what he's trying to do in Dollhouse is is question how that works when we have to take into account that there is so much of ourselves that come comes from outside of ourselves. I mean, there is 
this existentialist philosophy starts to break down when we realize that we live in a world where so much of what we think about things comes to us from outside of ourselves. And I think this is him grappling with it. And I, I think you can certainly like write some stuff off and say, yeah, you know, Marissa Tangerone and Jed Whedon were also big writing influences and there were other people writing it and he was more of a producer than a writer. And, and I get that. But to be honest, if you're going to break it down that way, you can break it. You can break Buffy and Angel down and even Firefly in similar ways and say that it's usually a collaboration. So I don't know. I, I choose to think of it as a, as a kind of experimental continuation of his other work. Does that does that argue against your friend enough, Simon? I don't know. I, I, I always I enjoy arguing with her. So more is good always. <laughs> Well, I would say the the single way in which this doesn't feel as as easily meshable with the, the rest of the Whedon canon is that it doesn't have that humor, which you had already you know referenced, Simon. And I think that is or another. It does, but not as much. It's yeah, it's a different kind of humor, but it doesn't have the the like the quips. It doesn't have the the quick dialogue. You know, the pacing you know, of of just the speech patterns isn't quite the same as it is on, on the other shows. And and so I can see how. If you're somebody who really enjoys that rhythm, who really enjoys the pop culture, culture references, you get some of that through Topher. But I mean, most of your main cast are dolls half the time. So you're not going to to get that. And so I could see how it would not feel like the same show. But I would agree absolutely with Kate. I mean, I, this feels like a very personal show to, to Joss Whedon. If you just read some interviews with, with him and, and his personal philosophy as far as... Um, it, just his involvement with with uh, with feminist causes and other things like that, and yeah, it just if it, it feels like him exploring these issues in in a in a more abstract way, um, and so I would say it fits in very well with with his other work. That was going to be the main thing I was going to bring up. Like we're 15 minutes in, and I haven't even thrown the term gender studies 101 around, and uh, which is shocking because this show probably. In turn, like, and that's it's actually kind of a sticking point with me with Whedon, like, if, especially in Angel. Um, what's the episode with the with the kid who who turns men into Billy? Billy, like that Billy episode, for instance, like it's you know it's dramatically interesting in some ways, but it's also super didactic in the way that it it sort of says men do this and women do this, and this is why society is messed. And there's a few moments like that in Dollhouse also, but it's actually I actually think that it's a little bit more nuanced and more interesting than it is with, um, with some of his other shows, if only because the concept of identity is so fluid for so many of the characters. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. The gender stuff is definitely, is definitely a at issue. And I mean, most obviously I think in the, in the figure of prostitution, I mean, the, the figure of prostitution weighs so heavily on this show. In fact, I think Whedon talks about how pretty early on one of the notes that he kept getting from Fox was, make it sexier, make it sexier, but whatever you do, do not let people think that this is a show about hiring out prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> And so, I mean, and, and so, of course, you have it, like, literally in that sense that people think it's about prostitution, but but also about this idea of, of allowing yourself to be changed to benefit you, but then maybe there's no you left at the end to be benefited by this change that you've sort of given yourself up. And and then, so I think that that's, for me, I think that that's what's interesting about Whedon is that he's dealing with these with these ideas and theories that seem to usually be related to gender in a very specific way, but he kind of like opens that up so it's not so tied to like certain ideas of gender. I mean, I never really think about this show so much in, in terms of its specific ideas, because I think, like you said, Simon, the, the gender stuff is so fluid, like people who are one minute a guy or the next minute a girl. And like, I, I don't know. I, yeah, it, that doesn't doesn't bug me so much. Or here. they're straight and then gay, or, yeah. which, you know, which sadly they didn't do enough with. But it's definitely referenced quite a few times. Yeah. 
Yeah. My experience watching Dollhouse, especially this time, because of course I watched it live. Um, I loved the first, in the first season, they had that thing they did with the first season of Dollhouse and the first season of Fringe, where there were only five minutes of commercials throughout the whole thing. It was awesome. So I watched this season, the whole season live just for that, um, because there was, ex, you know, this extra length and I wanted to support that. So I remember watching it live and in the second season as well. And, and watching it this time, I sort of had a split in my appreciation of what was going on. So I enjoyed the the look at the themes and I love overanalyzing. And so I had fun with all of that. But then I also was enjoying a lot of these performances as well oh. and discovering yeah. some of these actors. Um, so, I, I mean, I can go off in that direction. I just don't want to cut off what is such an interesting discussion of, you know, the, aside from just gender studies, there's a lot of just discussion of the self. What is the self? Yeah. But well, and what is the self in time? Right. I mean, that seems to me to be the the biggest thing here is like, how do we stay the same through time or like, how do we change? I mean, I I really think it's like 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 Simon, maybe that more apt metaphor is that like this is this is we didn't getting into like gender studies 404 instead of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's him really trying to dig into these issues in, in a way that like I think maybe certain things were taken for granted in, in how they worked in, in Buffy and Angel and Firefly that he's like really kind of examining here. And maybe that has to do with the fact that it in a funny way, Dollhouse is the show that is kind of set in our world the most. You know what I mean? Like Buffy and, and Angel really are set in their kind of own universe and Firefly is in the future. And but Dollhouse is like when you get people walking around on the street in L.A. and everything is set in current day L.A. and they keep referencing the time. Right. They keep saying 2009, 2010. Um, it, it really does feel like Whedon is thinking that the issues that are dealing with that he's dealing with in that show relate to our daily lives as they're happening now, which I, which I find a fascinating part of the show. I do. I think that your line about the gender studies thing is, is perfectly apt. I just do. I wish he'd found a way to more seriously explore those themes and, you know, sort of, sort of start to diversify in that sense while not becoming quite so dour, which I think is, like I said, the main problem with the show. Mind you, at the same time, while I'm complaining about that, I'm admiring that he got it made at all. Yeah. Yeah, it really is kind of uh, astonishing. I could see him getting this made now after Avengers, you know, having the Avengers thing behind him. But uh, I guess people really were, I mean, I was very excited to, that, you know, Joss Whedon's coming back to television after Firefly. Woo! I was, yeah. you know, so so there was that as well. But, um, but yeah, it really is just such a, singular kind of show especially i mean it's it's really kind of creepy and dark especially for network television i mean you could compare it to like profit or something which is another series that is has a really twisted central character and was on you know network television but having just as squicky a central concept and you know like we they said the fox executives were saying sexier but without the prostitution stuff you know if if you have to get that note a couple times then you know you're clearly dealing with a troublesome topic. Yeah. Uh, you, you brought up earlier, um, my Kate, that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, it, that never doesn't feel creepy. Um, <laughs> especially in context, the, uh, you mentioned earlier that you, there were some performances you should get into. And I think we should do that because we're at the 20 minute mark. And we haven't actually brought up anyone yet. Yes. And I would I, like to start with Elijah Dishku because I actually think she's pretty good in this. Uh... What? crazy yeah no i i think she's really good as the doll i think she actually might be the best of the people as as the that blank slate doll um i think that the problem is that 
having a blank slate as your main character do- doesn't work. Um, and so th- I think it's really interesting to look at the, um, the, the original pilot and then the one that they ended up going with, the, the reworked pilot, because at the end, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I believe at the end of the original pilot, Echo remember he says carolyn as she's going to sleep caroline and she so she and implying that she's already started to remember things with you know between the wipes uh and and then after when they rework the pilot that doesn't happen until the second to last episode of the first season and i yeah. think one of the big things they needed to do with the show i mean elijah Dishku doesn't necessarily have the widest range but i think there are certain things that she's very good at and uh, you know, having that sort of faith-like persona without the crazy, you know, that Echo eventually comes to have. So badass chick, you know, uh, I think she's very good at that. And when once they get Echo to that point, I think that central performance works a lot better. I think they needed to get her there and start making those steps with it much sooner. Yeah, I definitely agree about that. And and I know we wanted to. It was it was like there was complicated pressure from the network to kind of give it more of a standalone uh, feel in the early episodes, which is why they ended up stretching things out and messing with everything. And I, I really do think that she does the best with what she can, I, I with what she has. I agree that it gets better in the second season when she sort of becomes more like Caroline, even though she isn't technically Caroline. Um, I, I, I think she definitely gets it better. And it's, it's funny, Simon, because I actually think the show really hits its stride when it starts to get more dour. I think the episodes where it really struggles are the episodes where it's trying to be really light, like where it's trying to be really like, fun and cool like the one with the singer is just makes me want to gouge my eyes out. but but i mean i think when it like when it really goes with its with its dourness is when you get some really great stuff and and like just i mean it's funny at the beginning simon you said there was kind of a personality deficit in the show i kind of think that that is really only the echo character everybody else is fantastic like i love everybody else on the show I everybody mean, else every single other person Almost. I mean, Topher is fantastic. Boyd is is interesting. He's a, an unusual character, but he's interesting. Um, Adele is amazing. Reed Diamond is the security guy. is fantastic. Uh, I really love Enver Yokaj and Dijon Lachman. I think they're all great. I mean, I I don't know. Maybe maybe you guys disagree. That, that's not everyone, though, is it? Well, who who do you hate? You're clearly thinking of somebody specific. Uh, Tavo Pennicut is not the best as uh, as, as Paul. Yeah, I- I- yeah. I wanted to like him, uh, you know, because obviously I'm a big fan of, of Battlestar and I liked his performance there. But Paul does not feel like a character and the writing for him isn't always great. But the performance from Tom O'Pedicate really doesn't work for me. I don't like like I was talking to Simon earlier and he was saying, oh, Paul just died. I don't think I care. And that's kind of how I felt. And that was after watching it for two years. <laughs> Yeah, and I I don't know, I don't know how much like I, I always have a difficult time sussing out in a situation like this. To what degree is it the writing's fault, and to what degree is it the, the performance's fault? I think there's some blame to be placed on both sides. I do think the major problem, though, I think the bigger of the two problems is that Paul, his he always seems less complicated than every other character, and it's and, and not just seems he is. And his his you know his desire to just sort of be the savior and be that person never really gets mucked up too much. He's also the one that has the least um, interesting arc. And and I was thinking about it when I was rewatching the show is that basically every other character goes through some sort of major transition, which I really like. I mean, it sort of plays into this idea that like 
people change, that it's not about everybody remaining the same. And so I, I really like that. But Paul is the one that gets the least. They really try to do that in the second season. They sort of try to mess with him. And uh, Melly, when he figures out that Melly's a doll, he gets kind of dark for about three episodes and then he yeah. goes away again. And he's like, fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I agree. He's he's definitely the sort of blankest, which is kind of unfortunate. Yeah. Well, and when Simon, when you say that there's a personality deficit in the show, I absolutely agree with that, though I also agree with Kate that I really like most of these performances. And the, the trouble is that the personality deficit, at least for me, is with Paul and with the, your, your dolls, which include two of the strongest actors on the show. So Dijon Lachman yeah. and Enver Gilkaj are fantastic on the show. I, I mean, I was really glad to, to really get a, to meet them as actors in the show. And it, it was such a wonderful opportunity for them. When, when, when uh, Topher is in, in Victor's body, that performance is just hilarious and amazing. <laughs> it's Gokash. Oh my God. It's so good. But you don't get that for quite a while, especially in the first season. It, it, it seems like they took a lot longer on this show to, to get a sense of where their strengths were in their cast as compared to all of Whedon's other shows. And, and it's really unfortunate. Like I was looking through um, episodes deciding which ones to watch. And when I'm looking at the season two episodes, I'm looking, oh, this one has that really great thing for Victor. This one has that really great thing for, for Sierra and, and all these different moments that I really liked. When I looked in season one, it was about five episodes that I could easily skip and not feel like I had missed much of anything. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I do think um, we haven't even discussed, like, you know, alt original pilot versus aired pilot or season one versus season two or epitaph one versus epitaph two. So I'm going to do that now. Unaired pilot is better. Season two is better. And <laughs> epitaph two is better. Epitaph two is better. Yeah, definitely. I remember epitaph liking epitaph one more. I think, it, you know, the fact I, mean, I enjoy Felicia Day, so maybe that helps. Um, and I like the fact that we took just they just took away all the main characters for the majority of that. Now, that's true. Epitaph 2 does have that amazing performance from Frank Kranz. Um, so maybe I have to give it to Epitaph 2 upon further reflection. But I would also agree on aired pilot much better than the aired pilot. And season two is definitely better than season one. Although, can, can I, I have a sticking point even there, though, which is that I, Fran Kranz for me is really hit and miss, like, and a lot of it is the writing again. Like, some of the attempts to give him sort of the wise-ass... That didn't uh, work the, for me. The, the, the cracks don't really work, and they actually feel like sub-Diablo Cody at times, which is really bad if you start to think about it. But um, the... but And then even in that finale, like, he's got some really good moments, but then when they need him to play crazy, he really goes over the top with it. Mm. I don't know. I think he. I think he can pull off the crazy. I think. I think the funny thing about him with the smart act, smart aleck remark stuff, and I think fans sort of said the same thing when the show was on, was that for the majority of the first season, he was my least favorite part of the show. I found him so infuriating. I was like, who is this guy with the snotty remarks? Like, I don't care. Shut up. Mm -hmm. And then some somewhere around the end of that first season, and particularly when you get into season two. He he quickly became my favorite character, and and I actually think that the subplot with him and Bennett is some of the is like great moments in the show. Uh, Bennett is played by uh, River, uh, Summer Glau, the girl who played uh, River on Firefly, and they are so great together. And I have to admit, I'm in kind of a weird place with Frank Kranz today because I got to meet him today randomly. I was at a, the um whatever a screening of Much Ado About Nothing here, and he like turned up, and I was like, oh my god, and he was super nice. So I'm kind of in a good Frank Kranz place. And I told him we were recording. <laughs> I told him we were recording this Dollhouse podcast because I saw him afterwards, and he was like, he was like, oh, 
well, can you just like just say some nice things about it too? Like, okay, now I kind of love Rangrins too. That's amazing. Uh, good. Yeah, I'm okay with Crazy Topher as well. And yeah, I think the trouble with that character is is that again i think that's where they try to get a lot of the humor for the show is through topher and just like you kate when i was watching the first season i di- i hated that character because they try to give him the humor but he's such a he's, he's just so just kind of smarmy and because he is the person who's you know doing this who's created this technology to do this incredibly invasive and horrible and icky stuff that i am not willing to laugh with him yeah. So, so I think I think that's where they run into problems. And when they f- gave him some more depth, which I didn't feel like the character had hardly any depth through most of the first season. Once they started giving him more depth, then I kind of went back and I enjoyed those earlier scenes more. But in first viewing, not not so much. Which are the other characters that you guys want to talk about? I mean, I think there are a lot of really great performers in this cast. They don't always get the best material, but who else stands out to you guys? I'm I'm actually thinking that Olivia Williams might be the series MVP. Just for just for goodness throughout the whole run, and for not really ever coming off false. I mean, at, at different parts of the of the show, she's compassionate, she's uh, envious, she's um, yeah, a ball a buster and a, a cold hearted stone bitch, and uh, and you believe it every time, even if it doesn't, even if you st- if you start to think about it, she's not really consistent. But at the same time, you know who really is. Oh, but she's and she's so great. Amy Acker is another one who sort of we can't forget because there's so many people in the show. But Amy Acker is great in it as well. Um, she has a really weird story arc. She kind of ends up getting like just forgotten at the end when she's sort of in this other body. But she, um, but she is great too. Um, yeah, who else is great in it? There's so many good people. <laughs> uh, I need to I need to also mention Alan Tudyk. Oh, who, uh, he, that that guy can do anything. Like yeah. he seriously can. He is so underrated. Now, Simon, did you were were you fooled when you saw his first appearance? Because I was, I uh, was, yes. Totally. yes, or I would have been if I hadn't been looking at the IMDb cast list. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, and another uh, just guest, small guest performance that I really enjoyed was actually Patton Oswalt in Man on the Street. This was one of his first uh, TV, you know, gigs. You know, this was before obviously before Justified this year and before some of these other. Um, appearances before Caprica. Caprica. Yeah, and, and it, so it was one of those, oh, I like his comedy. It'll be interesting to see him on. Oh, actually, he's really good. I hope to see more of him on my television, which has proved awesome in this past year. Yep. Yes, he's good. Um, trying to think of other people that Merritt mentioned, but we've hit most everyone. Uh, I, I do think that um, Linux is good. I think the twist with Boyd is really unfortunate, and I wish they'd thought of another way to do that. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. I was sort of angry just watching it, not out of you know, a sense of betrayal of the character or anything, just because it seemed really completely stupid to me and unearned. It's completely unearned. Well, it's funny because I think they maybe, I think looking back at it, because they have to do it in such a short time frame at the end, you basically get that one episode where you realize that there's a bad person and then you get the reveal that it's Boyd right away. It's unfortunate, but having having rewatched the show like a bunch of times because I've done all this writing on it, um, the funny thing is is that like it actually is consistent with the way the show works, and and it actually explains Boyd Boyd's character more in the early episodes when you go back because early on when you watch the show the first time you're like who is this guy who's just sort of a do gooder and like really wants to look out for the Eliza Dushku character all the time? I mean it doesn't make a ton of sense, but then when you actually realize that there is this sort of plan in place. It actually gives the beginning half of the show a little more depth, but I, I agree with you that it's sort of unfortunate that it had to get delivered in such a like crappy way right at the end of the show. 
See, I don't believe I don't believe they knew from the beginning about that character at all. I mean, I haven't read that they did. If they if that's the case, then good for them. But I don't see it at all, and I don't think the actor knew either. If that was the case, I don't think they would have done the show the way they did. I think there would have been more foreshadowing. And I, I know we like to think that people who make shows that, you know, we like to think that people who make sure they're super smart all the time, but I, it seemed more made up to like, it, like they, like they went back and looked at old episodes and said, can we get away with this? Yeah, we can. I'm not sure that they, that the, it was something they were thinking of the entire time. Well, and well, we talked, mentioned justified earlier. That's something that they did this season on justified with, you know, one of their reveals. So they went back with this work. Okay, and it and and for us it did. For other people it didn't. So that that's not a necessarily a bad way to do your storytelling. But for me, watching the show, it didn't it didn't work this time. Well, I, I think that again, I like I I don't like to play this card, but I I will just say that I I actually have a hard time conceiving how they wrote this show on a, on a day to day basis with any kind of character development because they were so consistently not sure when they were going to get another episode. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, basically, I think they were told that they were going to be able to do the second epitaph episode at the very last minute. Um, they didn't know they were going to have a season two. Every, I mean, I just I don't know how they were able to like sort of plot stuff out in any kind of useful way. I think that's why you get the sense that there's always sort of three or four episodes where like very little happens. And then the latter half of the seasons have all this stuff jammed into it because they had ideas. That I, and again, I don't mean to just defend it based on that, but I, I do think that, I do think that they always had some idea of what was going to happen with Boyd. It maybe got changed a little bit towards the end to make that plot make sense. Um, which is, which is sort of unfortunate, but I do actually, I don't know. I do think that those last few episodes of season two are kind of great. I think there's some great stuff going on in there. I think that the attic episode is one of the best things they ever did. I think it's one of the most sort of sci-fi episodes. I think it has a great look to it. I I don't know. I I quite like that episode. Well, and I was really glad to have Reed Diamond back because I didn't realize how much I had missed him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the I would say that the ending run is is good and also features some very Whedon-y deaths, mm. um, some of which work better than others. But uh, yeah, I, I, although, yeah, it was definitely the death that, that pointed out to me that I never really cared about Paul, like, and really underlined it more than anything else. So some of those things worked and some of them didn't. I did find myself getting unexpectedly uh, emotional during the last few minutes, which I was like, damn it. <laughs> hate it when that happens it kills me every time man that song it just gets me every time although i do i will say i don't like most of the episode ending musical montages uh like the beck song shows up and that's all right but a lot of the other songs aren't very good i also think the opening song for this show is a painful disaster every time every <laughs> i agree <laughs> Every time that La 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 music comes on, I'm like, come on, you guys are drawing attention to the worst aspect of the show, which is that you have characters wandering around going La 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 La. Like, it's terrible. I don't know. That was a mistake, that song. Well, we are almost out of time. So let's, I guess, go any final thoughts you guys have or favorite episodes or if you had to pick a favorite character. Uh, I I, I like Tudic enough that I actually want to hang out with Alpha. (laughs) What does that tell you? Uh, but it, it, in general, I think it's a total mess. I think it's a very interesting mess. I think that people are too quick to write it off. And um, I, I, I wish I knew more about precisely where and how individual things went wrong. But uh, I don't know. I, I do think there's a, there's uh, more interesting stuff than bad stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. I think... I, I personally uh, place the most value on shows that are like doing really interesting thinking. And I think this show is, is doing really interesting thinking. And I think if you kind of 
go along with it and you're not so like worried about how it's different than normal shows or how it doesn't work the way you expect it to. There's great things to be had here. And and yeah, Topher, I think, is probably my favorite character. Um, I'll mention uh, Briar Rose, which was an episode I very much enjoyed um, in season one. We already talked about The Attic. Um, and so, yeah, I guess you know, Epitaph 1, watching that was such a really amazing, fun experience just because the show we didn't know if it was coming back or not. It like just survived uh, getting canceled basically because Fox was tired of all the, all the sci-fi fans being angry at them online. I think that's, I really feel like that's the only reason they brought it back um, that and reestablishing a good relationship with Joss Whedon. Um, but yeah, there, I think they're actually, this is a show that I think does not get enough credit. Yes. There are some elements of it that don't work and it is in some ways a mess, but I think it's a really interesting and sort of daring uh, attempt and you know something we talked about when fringe ended nobody's really doing sci-fi on network television and you know and when you look at the list of shows that only had a season or two i think this is one of of the better more overlooked ones um and and yeah i mean if i'm gonna look at caprica and i'm gonna look at dollhouse i think you know, both are shows that, you know, sci-fi, slower paced or not the, you know, the, maybe what people expected from them and both have problems, but, and both are interesting, but I would, I would pick Dollhouse every time. Oh yeah. Dollhouse is definitely better than Caprica. Although I'm not sure how popular an opinion that would be. I don't know. I definitely think the Epitaph episodes are great. I think they are, I think they're a pretty radical, like way of tying up a season. I kind of love this idea of like, well, we got one last episode. Let's just do everything possibly, like as crazy as we possibly can. Forget about like linearity, do whatever. I don't know. I just, I think it's kind of speaks to the spirit of the show where they were just like, whenever we can, let's try to be crazy and then we'll deal with it later if it falls apart. I sort I like that. And I really appreciated that I wasn't expecting an actual ending. Yeah. We got one. So I was, I was actually quite happy about that. Well, and what the Epitaph episodes do, and maybe this is part of why, uh, we enjoyed Topher so much more in season two as well, is it, it gives you a context for everything. I almost feel like the series would have been better off if it had started with something like that at the very beginning so that you know what is going to be coming. You know, so yeah. that when, when people are talking about these different tech things, it has more meaning than, okay, we'll do a remote wipe, whatever. You know, it's, it, it, some of that stuff felt like jargon, but after the context of this is what is going to happen, you know, I, I thought that made some of those other elements work, you know, even better. And um, yeah, I guess I'm going to remember this is this show overall for introducing me, like I said, to some of these performers that I really look forward to seeing more from. And uh, it also just for being sort of crazy and underappreciated. Yeah, definitely. Well, Kate, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can our listeners find your work online? Um, I post sometimes on soundonsite.org uh, and I am on Twitter at cinema buffy yeah that's my handle at cinema buffy <laughs> <laughs> i like it do you want to rank the whedon's oh oh like the shows yeah oh man you're kicking it up a notch here um i don't know simon do you want to go first and i have to think about this uh, i shouldn't have said anything i don't have my answer ready <laughs> oh you know i have a complicated answer i'll go um i'll go buffy good parts of angel Firefly, <laughs> Dollhouse, Bad Parts of Angel. Simon, that's a fantastic answer, and I, I kind of have to agree with it. I think I would pick the exact same order. 
I'm giving you a digital high five right now. <laughs> I like the separating the good parts of Angel from the bad parts of Angel. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I shouldn't have even brought it up because I don't really have an answer. Because Buffy is my sentimental favorite, but parts, you know, Firefly is just so consistent, and I love that world. And you know, there's not a down episode there, and there's there's like down seasons of the other shows. So I don't know. I'm gonna plead the fifth and just go with Simon's uh, answer. The, uh, I can't put I can't put part of Angel at the bottom. Ah, uh, ah, <laughs> uh, it's my own damn fault. I will. Dollhouse is at the bottom. The other are mishmash, but parts of Dollhouse, episodes of it, and so definitely some of its ideas are far more interesting than a lot of what the other series have to offer. I will give it that. All right. Well, thank you, Kate, so much for coming on the podcast, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. I'm going to cut this up, but can we just take a moment? Because much to do about nothing is so amazing. Oh, so good. It's oh, so good. good. Did okay. you, have you seen this, Simon? No, I got her a ticket, but I didn't yeah, see Yeah, he was very nice. Well, if you, if you guys review it, let me know. I would love to talk about it. It's so good. I'm sure you would. Anyway. And he's so good. <laughs> he's so good as Claudio. I don't usually don't care about Claudio, but he did a good job. He told a really funny story, Kate, about uh, about how he was, like, up the night before, like, looking at YouTube clips of, like, other performances, and he found some, like, middle school performance with a kid, and he was like, well, shit, that kid's so much better than me, I should just give up now. <laughs> 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 but anyway, sorry. Okay, how do, I, how do I get back into this? <laughs>